0: what's up everybody welcome to another episode of the surf and sales podcast i am scott Lees, one of the co-founders of the surf and sales summit november 27th to december 1st of this year is our uh, next event we've got a couple of tickets left we've also got an alumni event for all you alumni that is the first week of december joined here today by my good friend and co-founder and co-host of this podcast richard harris what's going on dude
1: Dude, just good to catch up with you. Like, that's the beautiful thing of this podcast. Otherwise, we'd only talk like once every three months. So um,
0: That's what people don't know about the podcast is that really it's just so you and I can hang out and have a chat and we just invite other people mostly to listen to us ramble. Right. Exactly. It's really not fair to our guests, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of guests, we have a killer guest today. Uh, whose claim to fame is that he has a higher lifetime batting average than our good friend Larry Long Jr. We will introduce him in just a minute. His name is Casey Cavell. He is a founder, investor, washed-up baseball player, ministry lead, all sorts of things going on in his world. We'll get to him in just a second. Richard's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on with our wonderful sponsors, HubSpot.
1: Yeah, so uh, as we wind down the summer, as we get to the end of August, of 2023 um people are back from vacations maybe maybe a couple people still have the the late school start for their kids and they've got one more thing in them or they've got a a, a labor day weekend trip but um hubspot's here to help you know one of the cool things they have is a bunch of ai-powered tools uh to help you work uh even when you're supposed to be playing which is allowed and help you become more efficient while you work in use the dreaded word of multitasking. Um, HubSpot's AI tools can help write content for you. It can help run reports and or analyze the reports for you and saves you a ton of time. Uh, when you really use good, hub, good HubSpot and good AI, um, you know you can save yourself a couple hours a week, right? Imagine you know 52 weeks a year and you're saving yourself you know, 100 hours a year. What can you do with that time? That's very, very cool. So be sure to check out uh, HubSpot's AI tool. It's also built into the platform. That's the cool part. Um, they've got ChatSpot. They've got a content assistant. Uh, they've got a ton of stuff going on to, to help everybody, whether you're in sales or marketing or other departments. So thank you. Please check out HubSpot.com. And we appreciate it. Back to you in the studio, Scott.
0: Do you know that our guest, Casey Cavell, has built a $40 million portfolio from a $9,000 investment?
1: No, tell That's me. Just
0: like your stock market portfolio that you're always bragging about.
1: Yes. Yes. Which is about true, about the same return, but it's taken me 20 years to do it.
0: As yeah. To- the thing is though, like many of us, the thing is uh, he experienced some burnout. So we're going to get into both these things, two super relevant topics for both of us. Only one of which we've achieved, which is burning out. Neither of us have achieved forty million (laughs) dollar portfolio part yet, but we're working on it. Casey, welcome to the show, man.
2: What's going on, guys? Good to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for
0: joining us. Tell everybody just a little bit about who you are and uh, what you've been up to.
2: Gosh, well, so the nine thousand dollars, I probably got that from actually a fifty dollar investment, which is kind of crazy. I was just thinking about that. I don't know why. I guess it's summertime and um, the summer is like when the world series of poker happens. I don't know if either of you guys are poker players or know anything about it, but that's how I got my, my initial seed investment. I figured out a way to turn 50 bucks into a few thousand and started playing online poker and all that kind of stuff. And realized that, you know what, some of these guys that play poker, they own businesses. And I didn't want to just be stuck around a poker table inside a smoky casino for the rest of my life. So I figured out a way to parlay a couple good poker tournaments into a business and got my start and surrounded myself with a lot of really cool, fun people and just uh, just started making it happen.
0: This is amazing. There's some sort of, um, I'm going to screw up the company name. I want to say it's, it has to do with like parcel delivery, like UPS or FedEx, something. Like yeah. FedEx. Is that is that the company? This guy like can't make payroll and he goes to Vegas and puts it all on black a yeah. few times and hits yeah. and the company survives? Yep. Yeah, that's what Casey's story is reminding me of a little
1: bit. Yeah, there's a book called First Break All the Rules there. That that is highlighted um as, as the intro attention grabber. Story.
2: Did you have that level of guts, Casey, when you were building so on I, it? I did my best. The game that I played was Texas Hold'em, right? So, like in most casino games, you're playing against a casino and you can't win long term. Like it's impossible because you're have a small statistic statistical disadvantage. Like you can't win. You're a 1%, right? Like you have a, what? 51, 49% chance, 51% the house is going to win. But in poker, you're not playing against a casino. You're playing against nine other people sitting around a table. And how the casino makes money is they take a small percent of each pot. So in that, you're playing against other people, not the casino. And I just realized if I'm playing a game, whether you're in business or whatever, like If you have nine competitors and you're the one that studies the game, that learns how to manage your emotions, that knows how to manage your money, that picks the right opportunities to go after, knows when to quit, right? Knows when to double, double, like you were kind of it. So that was what I did. I just became a student. Whatever I did in life, whether it was poker or business or baseball, I just hired the best coaches and surrounded myself with people that were winning in whatever I did. And eventually I figured out ways to make it happen.
0: So you so you launch all this stuff, you've founded and bought and invested in tons of businesses over the last few years. but I want I want to hear a little bit about this brick wall that you ran into because I think I think everybody's experienced this at some point in time in their career. I think so many people have experienced it or at least been more willing to talk about it in the last three or four years. I'm always fascinated by, you know, what were the warning signs? Did you know it was coming? And what did you do to heal uh, and kind of start over?
2: Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a baseball guy and, you know, there's some days, if you were a pitcher, I played shortstop, but there's some days where, you know, you can just pitch and it's just free and it's easy and it just, it's simple. Right. And there's some days where you have to really go out there and you have to hustle, like you really labor and it's tough. And, I equate that to business a little bit because when you're in your sweet spot in business, like it doesn't feel like work. You're just you're just making it happen and it just flows. Now, what I typically find is most people, like they're doing things when they're in that mentality where things are just working and it doesn't feel like work that they love to do and they're great at. The challenge is, is if you're ever out of alignment where you're spending a lot of your time doing things that you like, you don't really like to do, but you're good at it, and you spend a lot of your time doing those kind of things, you're going to burn out. And I like to look at 70-30. 70% of your time should be spent on things that you love to do and you're good at, right? Or you at least like to do. And what I ended up doing was I built businesses that I didn't figure out a way to get myself out of running the day-to-day because I didn't love running the day-to-day operations of a business. I love building and growing and networking and connecting, but I didn't love the day-in, day-out. And I was spending 70% of my time, guys, like running the day-to-day, managing the people and putting in the processes and doing all that. And until I figured out a way to get out of that, I burn out because every day I'm like, oh, what's on my calendar today? I got 10 hours of meetings. I don't love meetings, at least 10 hours worth. I don't love some of the things that I had to do that day. I love new partnerships and innovation and new ideas, not like managing people and make sure everything gets done. So after years of running the day-in, day-out operations of the business, I burn out. And I had a very successful business at the time. And I literally was like, I'm just going to lock it up. I don't even care anymore. I can't do it. And you that's just, when- You just literally shut it down. No, I was I, was, I thought about it. Um I thought about it because I'm like, I physically couldn't do it anymore. And I had uh, another gentleman that kind of showed up at the right time because instead of just shutting it down, I listed it for sale. Gotcha. And when I listed it for sale, a guy came in. He's like, hey, I really like you. I like your business. But like, if you disappear, I got to run it. and I don't want to run it. I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, I don't either. I didn't tell him that because I'm like, can this guy buy me out of a very successful business on paper, but I didn't want to run it. And he goes, look, I'll make you a deal. Let me invest in, you know, 66%, right? Of what you want. You keep a third of the business and let's be a team. And when we became a team, it kind of worked because he did all the things that I didn't want to do. And I did all the things that he couldn't do. And those things that I was doing were the things that I loved to do. So I literally found a business partner that was like the perfect puzzle piece because he liked some of those things that were burning me out. And he took those things off of my plate, which then freed me up to start doing more of what I loved. And we just figured out a way to grow the business. And we went from a $2 million business to a $10 million business in a couple of years. And it was literally because I had a team and built people around me that were able to get stuff done without me. And that's when I first learned how to build a business. I mean, I had a few successes before that, but I was just flipping businesses. I was going in and buying them for a million and selling them for three just by putting in processes and systems, but I didn't really feel figure out how to build a real business that didn't rely on me until you know I met my business partner at the time.
1: This is Scott's dream. You just yeah, defined, I, the last I, sentence is Scott's dream. It you is gladly really. buy a business yes. for a million, put in process and sell it for three and be done. Yes. So.
0: I'm feeling very inadequate right now. That is literally, I, say, what, I literally should be doing that.
1: I, I, the funny thing is that I, we say this all the time is that I'll come up with some idea and because I don't like to do certain things, Scott has a bigger vision and can take that idea and exit by 10. And it sounds like your Scott's version of my Scott, where you take that idea and you 10x Scott's vision of what he's trying to do. So um I assure you, you should charge Scott a lot of money on the next phone call. Cause it's going to ask you how to do it. So, uh, you just got a client, Casey. Um, there you go. so, so I want to go back to the 70, 30 thing though. Right. Um, yeah. when you do this and do you, in the beginning, do you, you don't mind doing the 30% of the sh- stuff you hate, right? Like you, because you know that you're grinding and you, maybe you're passionate because it's got new car smell. And then after two or three years, that's when you wreck, like, is that what it's like for you? I don't know that it is. I'm just asking the question.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you jump in first, you got to realize what needs to be done. Right. So until you know what needs to be done, it's like, you got to do whatever it takes to get the job done. But right. when you go into a business or you're in a business, it's really defining, all right, where do we want to go as a company? And then what are the things that need to be done to make that happen? And what I find is the majority of people and the majority of businesses, they do Pareto's principle, right? Where 20% of the stuff they do produces 80% of the result, if you guys are familiar with that, right? So it's like, if you have a 10-hour workday... Only two of those hours are the stuff that really produces 80% of the fruit or 80% of the results. So what I had to do is figure out, all right, what are all the things that actually need to be done in this business? And then start realizing, all right, I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. Because if you spend your time doing things you're not good at, like you're not going to make it because you're spending time doing things that you're not good at. Like Whatever it is that's being done, it's not going to be good enough to become a successful business. So the first thing you got to do is delegate the things and find other team members that can do the things that you're not good at. The second thing, right, is figuring out the things that you're good at, but you don't want to do. And early on in a business, you just got to do those things. If you're good at it, but you don't want to do it early on, you just got to do it and then get it to a point where you know you can bring in somebody else. And the way that I look at it is if I can hire somebody else to do that job, how much time is that going to save me? And then can I go use that time to go and do other things that are going to pay for that person's time? So if I'm running finances for my business or whatever it looks like, and I can hire a CFO and that CFO is going to save me 10 hours a week. And that's going to cost me $10,000 a month. Okay. So what is that? 40 hours a week, a month, I get back for $10,000. What is that? $40 an hour? I think, I hope, right? That's why I would hire a CFO to figure out if I, if I know my numbers, but I know I can generate a whole lot more than 40 bucks an hour with my time. And I think that's what people get stuck on. It's like, hey, I don't want to hire people or I don't want to delegate. And it's like, you're costing yourself. So I think that's it. First, figure out what you're not good at. Hire other people. Do the things that you have to do just to survive, but then slowly but surely hire those things out if it frees you up more time to go do what you do best.
1: Great. So I'm going to. Two things is Scott. He just defined my economic impact definition from neat selling. So clearly he's a fan of me. Yeah. Um, he's a
0: student of your.
1: He's game. a student, right? The other thing is I'm, I'm pulling out the calculator and, and an abacus because if the math is right and Scott works two hours a day, which is, you know, 120 minutes, only 24 minutes, that 20% <laughs> produces the 80% of his revenue, right? Is that right? Scott? There you go. Doing the math right in your two hour workday. I feel attacked. You are. For some reason, I'm on fire this morning.
0: I feel attacked. Uh, How did you figure out which million dollar business to buy that you could flip to a three million dollar business?
2: Gosh, so what did I do? The first thing I did was I bought a self-storage facility. Oh, my God.
0: I drive by those all the time. And I think to myself, this has got to be a moneymaker.
2: Yeah, if you do it right, right? If you buy it right, if you manage it right, all of that, because you got to make sure you get in at the right price, but then you got to figure out how how are you going to make it worth more? So for me, it's all about the numbers. And then I started, you know, the baseball and softball academies I had, right? It's like, all right, well, if they're doing this and I can do this, 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 and this to increase the top line or decrease the bottom line and it's valued at a certain multiple of net profit, right? total revenue minus total expenses. And that's typically how a business is worth. And I know I can grow the revenue by two X or three X, then that's how I know I can double it. And for me, it's not trying to recreate the wheel. It's just, all right, is the market gonna support this type of business, right? Like if I'm gonna buy a self-storage facility and it's 50% occupied, I gotta know that the market can be 90%. And I realized the first one I bought, everybody else was 90 and this guy was 50. Well, why? They don't answer their phone. They don't know how to sell. They don't know how to build the relationships. They don't have some of the amenities. And with the baseball academy that I built or bought, the gentleman that I bought it from, they didn't know how to answer the phone. They didn't know how to sell. They didn't know how to follow up. They didn't know how to give great customer service. They didn't know how to get reviews. They didn't know how to get their great customers sending more people. So for me, it's how do you grow revenue? And then if you grow revenue, everything else will figure itself out. If you know how to do that, know how to sell, right? You guys are in that world. If you know how to sell, everything else will figure itself out. Um, You just got to make sure you you deliver.
0: You think we could make, you think people like us have an easier time operating and making revenue, making money in, in those kind of worlds versus this software B2B world that
1: we've been in for so long? What do you mean by that? How do I phrase this the right way? Some
0: people grind away for decades in software and B2B. And we're hoping for, you know, six figure salaries initially. And then where can I make, you know, a million bucks either as an an individual contributor or as a a C-level executive. And maybe one day I get like this unicorn pop from an exit, right? That's one path. A different path would be maybe I cut my teeth on, on software sales and doing all this stuff. And you know what? I can go buy and flip storage facilities. I can go buy and flip baseball academies and things like that. Like maybe is that a faster way to reach some pinnacle of success? If I've got the foundational stuff of like difficult software selling in a difficult market, or is it totally different and the skill sets don't necessarily transfer and you're not as likely to be successful. That's what I'm trying to dig in.
2: I mean, I, I think growing revenue is growing revenue no matter what you're doing. So there's a lot of businesses out there that are managed by mom and pops and pest control companies. A lot of those people
0: don't have like the sales acumen or chops that maybe were learned in a software selling environment is is what I'm kind of trying to drive at.
2: Absolutely. So if you can take a sales mentality to a business that isn't sales and make sales better, like it's going to be better. Right. And there's all kinds of entrepreneurs and businesses out there that they don't know how to sell. And if you can buy a business or get into one and teach them how to sell, it's it's absolutely. I mean, just by doing that, you should be able to double whatever you're doing in revenue.
1: Yeah. So I, I think part of it is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, either of you is that, excuse me, someone can know how to sell and be good at it. They may have the risk aversion to do it on their own, right? And they may create, you know, Scott, as we say, the excuse factory of, oh, I don't have the capital to do this. Well, there's lots of ways to find capital, right? There's lots of ways to, and they won't even go research that part, right? The imposter syndrome, whatever it is. So I think part of this is, as I hearing the conversation is, you know, how do we get out of our own way to go do this? Because there are a lot of successful salespeople who need that comfort. They need that stability. they I think it's somewhat generational too. It's harder for older generations to kind of think about this side hustle thing, right? As opposed to the younger generation, where it's normal and/or they've been forced into it.
2: Yeah, I I don't necessarily know the answer. Um, the whole I mean, side hustle. Why the thing, fuck are you
1: here if you don't know the answer? Like that's <laughs> the, like I'm on fire. Sorry. Sorry.
2: Well, I'm a I know I'm a consultant. I just ask all the questions. I don't tell anybody what to do because then if I do and they Follow my advice and it was wrong. I can't get fired, right? I, I just ask all the questions and let them come up with a solution. So I got I, I, that's I am. That's half of what I do, right? Because it's all mindset mentality. If you want to be great at something, it's all mindset mentality. That's it. We can worry about how to sell and all this, but you got to believe it uh, first. So I think getting to like this whole side hustle thing, like it's just hard. It's a hobby. And hobbies cost you money and they take time. So it's like, if you're in something or you see a potential side hustle that could turn into something and you have the means to just focus on that, like do it. But you need a plan. I think a lot of people get into a side hustle, but they don't have a plan and they don't have a team and they don't have the support to get there. But I also think it's like people that are listening, it's like, what kind of life do you want to build? Can you build that life by just being a sales professional and just nailing it and doing that better? Can you figure out a way to not sell for eight hours a day, but sell for four hours a day, but have a better pitch or know who your target market is and have a better sales process? Because you know, everybody has the 80-20 principle. You know, 20% of the people that you're going after are the ones that you should be going after, right? 20% of the contacts and the calls that you have are the ones that produce results. So I don't know the answer. Is there a better way to build what you ultimately want to do? I just like to put a goal on paper, three years from today, I always ask everybody I meet with like three years from today, let's say we're hanging out, we're surfing, we're on the beach, we're, we're about to go out and paddle out and hit the waves. Like what does success look like? What do you have to accomplish personally and professionally for you to be satisfied and happy with your progress? And when you answer that, then you can try to figure out, all right, what's the easiest way to get there? Is it to be in a business? Is it to own your own business? Is it to partner with somebody? So it's, tough to think about, but I think it's drawing a line in the sand, figuring out where you want to go and then figuring out other people that have already done it and then partnering up with them or asking them for help.
1: I oh, think yeah. that's great. So we're going to see you on the sand in uh, Costa Rica in November. You come into Surf and Sail. That's how I interpreted that. Hey, I'll
2: I'll run it by my wife. And if you guys have any sales tips on how to figure out a way to make that happen, we have, we have two kids under two and we have two more twins on the way in January. So I might need to hire like your best sales expert and consultant to help me with like the best sales pitch. But to answer your question, no, I will not be there.
1: (laughs) Um, Scott's your pitch man on that. That is, that
2: is
1: (laughs) you you got got to explain to it. It's be able to explain why it's a benefit to her. Right. Because in a year she gets to go away or six months or, you know, all that stuff, so.
2: Hey, um, I should not have said no. I, I'm hearing some things that I might be able to, I hate that word, no. I'm hearing some things I might be able to work in there. So I'll I will get back, I'll,
1: I'll get sliver back to you. There's always of hope.
2: There's always. Right.
1: I want to I come back to you in a second. The question I'm going to ask is, okay, so you took the 50 bucks, you turned it into a few thousand and then you decided to go, I don't know, create a VC fund or build your next sure. business, right? When did you... What was the first one you chose, and what was the first mistake as you went big? So that's my question. What's the first mistake? You know, how did you go from 50 to a few thousand to yep. more, and what was the first mistake? But first, uh, I got to b- jump in for a second and tell you about our good friend, um, Mr. Mark Robert, who has actually been on the Surf and Sales podcast. He has his own podcast on the HubSpot podcast network called The Science of Scaling. Uh, where he, if you didn't know about Mr. and if you're in SaaS sales, how could you not? Uh, he was the founding CRO at HubSpot, senior lecturer at Harvard Business School and co-founder of Stage 2 Capital. Uh, he brings in very successful sales leaders, particularly in tech, to learn their secrets and strategies and tactics for company growth um, and hopefully help you avoid some mistakes those folks have made. Uh, if you don't know Mr. Robert, he's very fun and engaging and uh brings a very thoughtful mindset as he shares his knowledge and wisdom. So please check out Science of Scaling, hosted by Mark Robert on the HubSpot Podcast Network. So Casey, gave you 30 or 45 seconds to think about the answer. What's the answer? So
2: very first thing I did was I invested $9,000 into a six-unit apartment complex. Six units, $9,000 down payment, seller financed the rest of it, and it was really easy. They were charging half the amount of market rent, and I realized if I could just charge market rent, fill the one vacancy, which everybody else was full on the market, I would double or triple the value of the business. So that was the very first thing I did, and it wasn't that risky because I invested a little bit of money but i just knew it would be very simple to solve that problem and when i did it would double or double or triple the you know value of the business so that was the very first thing i did
1: how long did you flip it how long till you flipped it
2: i think it was a year and a half two years ish i just kept it for cash flow and you know it made you know a few thousand dollars a month right but that's great when you only put 9000 dollars in but then when i flipped it i i think we doubled the value. I think we sold it for almost 200,000 and then took that and then started doing the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. That's, that's what our family does. So I'm I'm interested to hear that. What's been your biggest swing and miss? Have you had any?
2: Yeah, gosh. So one of the storage facilities I had, we had a 500 unit complex and it was hard for me to give up control to a management company to run the day-to-day, believe it or not. Although I didn't love it, like I'm like I can do it a 10 out of 10 like there's nobody that can do it better than me so that prevented me from going and finding more storage facilities to buy because I was stuck running the day to day so although I could have hired somebody and they would have done it 8 out of 10 and I'm going to do it a 10 out of 10 it was hard for me like I can't hire them because they're going to do it 20% less good right than I would that's right. not acceptable cuz you got to be perfect and that prevented me from going and finding other underperforming businesses to turn around and flip where I, if I were to do it again, I would have hired better people in all of my businesses. I would have paid them more. I would incentivize them and tie them into the overall success of the business. And I would have done anything I could have to buy my time back because that's it. Hire people to buy your time back. And I failed to do that early on. And you know it cost me some opportunity.
1: That's great. I, I appreciate it. So how long did it take you to realize that was the challenge?
2: I mean, I'm still realizing that, right? Because like every day I'm like, why am I doing this? Why can't I hire somebody else? So it's hard because I'm a perfectionist. Um, it's hard to give up control. Man, how long did that? I mean, it took years, years. Um, I would five, seven years of like, man, what if I just would have brought somebody else in that was better suited for this job that would have freed my time up. So it took, it took years.
1: So, and what did, so- just even doing the math, right? So if you realize that after year one, right? Because year one you might have to do it, right? Like you got to yeah. figure it out. You need to know what you're looking for. How many more? How much do you think that cost you in investing in other properties or other storage facilities?
2: Oh, millions of dollars. That one facility in, that I bought, I, I think I paid just under a million dollars for it. I sold it a couple of years later for two and a half. Well, I was running that business for a year and a half, two years. All I would have had to do was go and find another million dollar storage facility that was poorly managed, hire a management company. And even if they only grew it 50 percent. Right. I bought it for a million. It's one point five versus a million versus two point one. But I'm not running it. I probably could have found three, four five more of those kind of things.
1: Yeah. And that, that's the part. So. Last question, then we'll turn it over to you to ask us the question. What are you doing to yourself? Because you say you still struggle with it. I think we all do. What are you doing to yourself to slap yourself in the face to go, Casey, you're doing it again. It's time. Go find somebody else. Or is that what your wife does? She gets to slap you in the face.
2: Yeah, she helps. She's she's a tough critic, which is good. I have a coach that I meet with every two weeks and she knows me really well. And Mm -hmm. I'm just really honest with her. And I literally created a checklist and a spreadsheet of like success principles that I need to have. And we just go over it every couple of weeks. It's like, am I doing these things? Am I not doing these things? You know, okay.
1: got one more question. Cause you just nailed like, this is I promise. This is the last question. You have a list of success principles. What are they? What are, cause I think people would love to be like, Ooh, maybe I need those.
2: One is stay in my ideal week. So I have a week built out Monday through Friday where I have blocks of time that I should be doing certain things throughout the week. And I got to make sure I do it. So for instance, how the heck did we get into that block? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So I don't even know what day it is right now. We We snuck in. We snuck
0: in. We invaded his ideal week, Richard.
2: So I I have three hour blocks if I'm going to be on a podcast or I have a, I have a podcast myself, right? Like these are the times I think I do uh, Wednesdays and Fridays or when I'm on podcasts. And if it can't be done there, I could make an exception, right? Right. But it's ideally what I'm going for, which is I need a certain amount of time working with clients. I need a certain amount of time working with potentially getting new clients. I need a certain amount of time networking with people, adding value to people. I got my workouts on there. I got when I'm eating on there. So one of my success principles is my ideal week because I know if I can create that. Everything else will work itself out. So that's like the leading indicator um, that if I do that, everything else will work itself out.
1: Man, that's good. Okay. so what what are two or three more on your success checklist? Gosh.
2: Um, how I communicate, I have a communications checklist. Am I being really good at asking questions and listening versus telling? I think the majority of people in my past, I'm just talking, talking, talking. I'm listening to respond rather than listening to just listen. Um, and the last one is have fun. My wife and I, we have like a family motto, um, have a fun and simple life, put family first and work as a team. So I always talk about that. Like I'm always thinking about that. Am I simplifying my life? Are we having fun? Do we have anything fun planned? How are we working as a team? Right. If I'm going to have a boys weekend, does that mean my wife's going to have a girls weekend? Right. Like that motto is something that I kind of keep. And if I can keep that at the top of my mind, life's too short, have fun, right? Like right. work together as a team, business, families, whatever. That's what I try to stick to.
1: Dude, then you just sold her on going to surfing sales. This is part of our family motto of have fun. Right. I
2: try. And then when's your trip? Right. right. Like that's just the well, way first, it
1: works. First, I think maybe, maybe it's when are you going to do your trip? You're about to have another set of, you know, a set of twins. When do you want to have that? Let's get that on the calendar. Oh, by the way, so, you know.
0: That's called a baby moon, Richard. That's what the kids call a baby moon these days. Okay,
2: all right. Well, she's got to come with me for the baby moons. I got to go with her. So that's like a-
1: You didn't do a baby moon. I did a baby moon. There
2: you go. All right.
1: So Casey, this has been fascinating, like really cool. Like I've got so many like uh, tweets that I could pop out from this, Um, all this knowledge. So thank you so much, Uh, particularly like the, the success- you know, the success with. Um, what do you want to ask us? How can we be helpful to you? What's your, I guess, what's your 2 a.m.
2: thoughts for business, right? Like what are those things that keep you up at night? Is there anything that's like, you know what, if I could just solve this one problem for my business or the people I work with, like what, what would that be, you think?
1: Well, my, my 2 a.m. thought is how do I get a fuck back to sleep? Um, <laughs> you know, but I'm not getting back to sleep because of those thoughts. So it's a a fair question, Casey. Um, For me, it is a little bit more of a long-term strategy, right? I'm 53 years old. Um, How do I keep doing things, helping people be relevant, continue to make money, um, but maybe not have to work as many hours, right? Um, I think that's my big strategy, which kind of goes back to that line in the sand, what's your three-year plan to get out of this stuff, right? Um, Which, you know, for our family, we have these investments very similar to you, um, plus the stock stuff that Scott was talking about. But um, but I don't want to quit, right? I want to be a part of it still. Um, So I think that's one thing. And then I think the deep down psychological thing is like, oh, in seven years, I'm going to be 60 am I going to be too old for this startup game that I'm in, which I'm not, but I still think that's my imposter syndrome. I I mean, you know, I think as, as all of us turn a decade, right. We always sort of wonder what's that going to be like. So that's what keep that's, that's the stuff. If I'm thinking about it, aside from like day-to-day shit, like the stuff I got to get done, those are the.
2: Got it. Well, I was just going to ask the question. I have no solutions, So. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i I think for me it's uh it's where's where's my home run i think i've for me at least figured out exactly the things that i'm good at exactly the things that i like to do versus not like to do but i'm missing like a grand slam grand finale and how do I get that? What does that look like? Because after that, I want to be done. I'm not somebody that wants to uh, work forever. And if, if, you, if I won the lottery today, I'd just quit everything.
1: You wouldn't hear me. You would, me. but you'd still need to, I know you, buddy. Like
0: ah, I'd, you find something I'd find something to do, but that's, that's different to me. than. That's
1: like, what I mean. You'd want to stay engaged. I don't know that you
0: I, I would I would probably try to go coach like high school soccer and win a couple championships and just be like completely obsessed with sport again. Right. Or I'd buy or I'd buy a small team in some country like Wrexham style. Yeah. Right. That, that's that's different. That doesn't even count.
1: That, I mean, that's just you just working even harder though, Scott. I know you.
0: You know yeah. what, Richard? Yeah. You're fucking up my 2 a.m. dream is becoming a 2 a.m. nightmare, dude. I know. Get <laughs> out of my dream, Richard. This is my dream. All right. <laughs> That's what it is, though, Casey. It's uh it's where's the home run, right? It's it's where's the like big seven figures like pop? Like I've sorted out how to make seven figures plus a year. But where's the like eight-figure pop? And I don't know where that comes from without like doing you know building something new and building something like big which i don't know how much stomach i have for yet so i'm stuck in that like sphere that loop if you will
1: just remember richard uh, tells
0: me i'm full of shit again and fucking no i'm gonna tell away.
1: you i'm gonna tell you exactly what i think casey may tell you and our friend larry long is you win as many championships with singles and doubles as you do grand slams in fact you probably win more championships that way so you got a lot of singles and doubles, and I know you. And I know, you're, I know you'll hit this number. I know you'll get to that place. So I don't know. That's, that's my suggestion. Casey, what do you think?
2: I have nothing to add. I'm just asking the question. I think that's, I mean, that's great. I, I think knowing what is, is the start, and then it's how. So once the what's written down, then it's all right. How do we get there? And I always like to find other people that have done it, right? And then figure out how did they do it, and ask them if you were me, what would you do? And you know, be careful who you ask that question to, and be careful what they say. But it's hey, I want to exit or I want this. What would you do? Any advice? And uh, kind of go from there. Good you know, question.
0: I don't think anybody's asked us that question.
2: Before. I
1: was going to say he flipped it on us. He flipped it, and you know, this is we do stuff like this at, at Surf and Sales called the crow's nest where people come and you know, we give advice and ask questions and you just sort of flipped it on us. So uh, much appreciated for that. Where can
0: everybody find you, Casey? What's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah,
2: uh, CaseyCavell.com. So I'm there, CaseyCavell.com. I got a uh, podcast called The Dugout CEO as well. So it's people that are, you know, sports minded baseball people, but we're talking about life, leadership, right? Being a CEO, being a leader, being a husband, being a father. I mean, it's it's how to become an MVP at life. So we talk very little about baseball, but it, it's former players, coaches, entrepreneurs that played baseball that are baseball fans. And gosh, we've had everybody on there from Major League All-Stars to pastors to high school coaches, right? To current players. Did Larry um, get on there? Did Larry get on? Larry Long, got on there. So we're going to put the bar is
0: real low for baseball players. Yeah. He
2: just, well, he just paid a lot of money. So it's typically $10,000, you know, paid in (laughs) advance, um, all that kind of stuff, but, uh,
0: Larry is is full pay to play. Yeah.
2: So yeah, that's it. Um, Casey I got a newsletter is all about focus, helping people focus on taking that vision and making it a reality. So, uh, that's kind of it. Cool. We
0: appreciate you spending time with us today, Casey. Wish you the best of luck. And we will see everybody next time on the Surf and Sales podcast. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, guys.